All right, so if you've uh, got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 7. That's where we're going to be. This is our third week in Romans 7, and we're going to finish Romans 7 this morning, and then we'll, we'll look at um, sort of some Advent season stuff uh, for the next several weeks, and then at some point after the first of the year, we'll pick back up with Romans 8. But um, I, I don't, so we, we kind of lingered here in Romans 7. It was more than, than one sermon's worth and probably more than three sermons worth, as it turns out. But it is Paul's um, autobiography. It's, it's his experience. So he's writing about this struggle that he has in the Christian life. And it's um, one of the four or five places in um, his letters to the churches where he gives some, some autobiographical information. But this one, this Romans chapter 7, probably is the most theological, but also the most intimate. I mean, it's, it's Paul's very real struggle here in, um, as he records it to the Romans. And it's his struggle with sin as a believer. And so you can read a lot of different opinions. So Romans chapter 7 has been a subject of, of lots of debate and scholarship for 2,000 years, actually, um, of who's Paul writing about. Is he writing about somebody who is not a Christian? Is he writing about somebody who, uh, b- before they became a Christian? Um, is he writing about Israel? You know, believers, Old Testament believers, but without the Holy Spirit. And so, so there are a lot of uh, opinions about all that. But I will tell you the prevailing um, weight. So, so the weight of the prevailing opinion comes down on this. Paul changes the pronouns. He goes from we and you to I. And he begins to say, I'm struggling with this. I find in me, in my inner being, this thing going on, this things, things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. And, 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 and it's, it's a very real experience of, of a believer who has been set free from the penalty of sin and, and, the, and the power of sin in some ways but still is um, um, hunted down, if you will, by the presence of sin in their life, the pull of sin on their life. And so, um, that, that's Paul's experience. And I, I want to look at it. I want to um, uh, examine it. I, I want us to try to follow the, the flow as, as much as we can today and then offer some some hope. The, the real hope comes in Romans 8. The, the, you know, um, what's the answer to Romans chapter 7? Well, Romans chapter 8, that's the answer. But I, I want us to not move too quickly without examining what he says. So I'm going to start reading Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll, um, we'll talk about it. Here, here's what he says. Romans 7, beginning in verse 13, he said, did that which is good, he's talking about the law there, So he's made the case, hey, listen, not only are we free from sin, but we're free from the law. We're not under law, we're under grace. And, um, you know, so so law aggravated the sin problem that we had. Um, It brought death to us. And so, but he's now defending, you know, he's been defending the law. It's holy, it's righteous, it's good. Did the law do something bad to me, Paul says? Did did the law come after me? And and he says, you know, did, did that which is good, the law, bring death to me? He says, by no means. 
It was sin that did that. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become uh, sinful beyond measure. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. I'm unspiritual, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I find myself, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. If you would bow with me. Father, I pray you'd take your word, you'd help us to understand it with the help of your Holy Spirit so that it would do what it means to do in us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul's been writing Romans. And Romans, he has been unfolding for us, sort of unpacking for us what the gospel is. And the gospel is, and you know, simply said up to this point, it is something done for us that God does for us through his son Jesus. And it is something that is being done in us. So so what happens is Christ, he, he tells us, dies for our sins on the cross that saves us, that brings us to justification, then the Holy Spirit is sent to indwell us, to, 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 to come into our life, to empower us. We'll talk way more about that when we get to Romans 8. But what Jesus brings about in justification, the Holy Spirit comes to bring that justification to our experience, to, to complete in us this work of redemption. It's something that won't be fully complete until the resurrection, until we're raised from the dead, or, or if we're alive when Jesus returns, we're, 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 we're made new, we're, we're translated immediately into glorified bodies. But it is something that in this life, it is a transformation that is constantly happening. Now, the challenge for us the discouragement comes that, that when in this life as a, as a believer, 
you know, you, you come to trust Christ. So maybe you're, you know, you come as a new believer, you trust Christ, you join the church, you, you know, you're in a small group, you, you start reading his word, you, you start understanding it now in new ways because you have the Holy Spirit and, and you're seeing things you never saw before and, and all of these things, you know, your spiritual life is energized and exciting. And, and yet there's this great discouragement that comes because, because that fervor or that zeal or that desire, it, it seems to like fade away when the first bit of trouble comes or maybe the second or maybe the third you know it can be defeating that you know you've made all these resolves you've you've set your course you've you've embraced this new identity and you have a new heart and new affections and new desires and yet some trial comes or some temptation comes and that seems to all melt away. It's discouraging that in the Christian life you find yourself, Paul says, doing the very things that you hate to do. You're a new creation in Christ. You're in Christ. Paul says you're in Christ. Christ is in you. And yet what you find still there is that you'll do the very things you hate to do. And so the things that you want to do, you find you... You can't do or you're not doing. And those things that you hate or you've renounced or you've set behind you, you find yourself doing them all over again. And then the tendency is at that point, as a believer, what we do is we go, okay, I've got to fix this. And so we turn to all these things. You know, we call it Christian legalism, you know, or self-legislation. Uh, you know, this, this strength of our well-meaning willpower. And we remind ourselves, well, we don't do this and we don't do that and we don't do that other thing. And somehow we think, listen, okay, now that'll be pleasing to the Lord and that, that'll help me get to this victorious Christian life. And, and, and so we resolve to try even harder. I just need to spend more time praying so so god don't you see me praying and, and, and reading his word and, and don't you god don't you see i got up four days in a row now early and i've read your word and because we want to make up for we want to eradicate we want to make sure god knows we're really serious about this deal or maybe remind ourselves we're serious or Show those around us that we're serious. The, the, the problem is, is, is we think that all those things, all those ways that we respond to the failures in our life as believers, we think those are somehow pleasing to God, those things we do, that we'll find favor with Him. And, and so we find ourselves, we're left with the struggle of this war waging inside of us and, and our abilities to, to try harder and to do better and be stronger, those don't work. And so what I see a lot of times, you've seen it too. Maybe you're there this morning. You say, well, I, what use is it? Maybe I never even was saved. or You've become dull or numb to it. You've just decided to live with so many things that, you know... You hope all works out in the end. But you're living a life. You've, 
you've given in and said, okay, I'm defeated. I'm losing. Or I've lost. And I don't know how to do it better. Listen, if that's you, let me help you out here. You're not alone. You're kind of in a room full of people that are struggling with that deal. I mean, we don't say it. I mean, we show up at church and we go, hey, how are you doing? I'm great. Praise the Lord. But I mean, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he tells us in 1 John 1 8, if you say you're without sin, you know what he says? He doesn't say you're misguided, you're, you misunderstand. He says, you're a liar. That's what he says. So it is a very is a very real experience in the Christian life. And here what Paul does is like the veil comes down. He says, I, I want you to know, listen, this is how you're saved. You're, you're saved by nothing that you've done. And then what happens is you get into the Christian life and you think, okay, now it's all up to me. Now, now, now I've got to do better and, 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 and be stronger. And he says, no, no, no. That not only can believers, I mean unbelievers, not do the law of God, guess what? Believers can't do the law of God. It's in me, I know what I want. I, I love, I delight in God's law. But I can't do it. And so what does that mean? Well, 13 times in Romans chapter 8, he's going to tell us the, the answer, and the answer is the Holy Spirit, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But, but here, he, he's laying the foundation. He wants us to know, listen, it's almost like you have to get to a place of desperation, you know, to come to Christ for salvation. It is also a place of desperation in your life. You come to him and trust him for sanctification as, as well. And so what Paul's talking about here, he's not talking about your identity in Christ. He's talking about your experience living the Christian life. Here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, listen, you began in Christ. In fact, he'll tell this exactly to the, to the Galatians. You began in Christ. You've got to continue in Christ. Because what's happening is, is that your future, who you are, who you're going to ultimately be revealed to be. So, so when, you know, when you stand face to face, you go, oh, that's who I was in Christ. Your future is at war with your past for your present. Your identity in Christ is at war with your history for your right now. And, and, you, and we feel it, and Paul feels it. He says, listen, the law, the law is so good and it's so holy and it's so righteous. And, and, and it's, you know what it's good for? You know what the law is good? The law is good to show me that I'm not good. That's what he says. Look at verse 13 again. It's, it's, it's the way he says it. He says, did that which is good then bring death to me? Not by no means. It was sin that brought death. It was sin that was producing death in me through what was good. Here's what he says. Listen, no, no, no. It's sin who killed me. Sin just used, just you picked up the weapon of the law. The law is just the weapon in the hands of sin. Sin killed me. Sin produced this in me. Is the law to be blamed? No. 
of the law is not to be blamed. Here's what the law does. The law came and revealed about me that my sin, my sin was sin. Not only was it sin, it was sin beyond measure. It was, it was a lot of sin. Extreme. Exceedingly. Utterly. The commandment comes and magnifies and amplifies the sin in my life. I, I, would, I would argue this this morning. That, that if you're an unbeliever this morning, listen. I hope, I, I, I pray that the, us looking at God's word, the Holy Spirit would come in and would convict you. And you'd, you'd feel the, the guilt of sin, the, the condemnation of sin, the lostness of, of not knowing God and not being able to get to him. And then the, the, the scripture would draw you to Christ. It, it, and then it's good for you to know that, that not only would you in this moment become aware and conscious and feel the weight of your sin, but the reality is it, that weight of sin won't go away. The dominion of sin over your life, the, the power of sin over your life, the penalty that sin brings, those go away when we trust Christ. We're no longer slaves. We've been set free. But the presence of sin is still there. The patterns of sin, the echoes of sin that we're so familiar with is still there. The shadow of it. And as believers, we don't feel the weight of sin less. We feel it more. We realize, oh, it wasn't just sin. It was extreme sin. Sinful beyond measure. That's what I am. And so Paul says, for we know the law is spiritual. God's word comes and it does that. But I'm of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. When Paul talks about flesh here, he's talking about that. He's using it symbolically. So flesh can be used. I mean, so flesh and body, both of those are synonyms, a lot of places in the Bible. What Paul's doing here is he's going to use the body as this neutral term. So, so we all have bodies, you know, our bodies, and we have members of our bodies, you know, our arms and legs. And, and the body's going to be neutral. The flesh, he, he's using the flesh to symbolize this, this you know, um, sarcos. It, it, it symbolizes that, that rebellious nature that we had and still hangs around in us and we're so familiar with. Who we were and the things that we picked up in our fallen state. So we're born into a world system that's at rebellion in rebellion against God and, 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 and hates God's will. And guess what? We grew up in that. We learned, we learned that. We, we have patterns of it. We, we have echoes of it in our life still. That's what Paul said. Listen, we're wasting away on the outside every day. Inwardly, we're being renewed. But you don't have any more strength of power in yourself than you did before you were saved. You don't, in and of yourself, have any more virtue or goodness than you did before you were saved. That's why Paul said, listen, nothing good. I, I realize there's nothing good in me, in my flesh, that means. 
And what I came into this world with, anything good in me, Paul's going to say, has come from God. It is, it's come from his Holy Spirit that dwells in me, and I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. And we'll look at all that crazy language when we get to Romans 8. But you, you don't have any more power, any more strength, any more ability than you did before. When we come to Jesus for salvation, that is supernatural. God's doing what we can't naturally do, and that is reconcile us to himself. Well, our transformation, our sanctification, our, our becoming who it is we are in Christ, that is supernatural as well. So we cooperate with the Spirit. We want to so yield to the Spirit. We want to we want to be in concert with. We want to learn the tune of the Spirit and, and sing that tune. That, that's what we want to do. Tune our hearts to God in us. But it is His, His power, His, His, His supernatural power that we now live in. So, so the law, it's good to show me where I'm not good. It also reveals, I mean, what I also discover is that there is something in me looking for an opportunity to betray me all the time. Look at verses 15. He starts, he says, well, you know, in, in the things I do, the one who betrays, wants to betray me in my actions, for I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. If I do what I don't want, and I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So, so what do you say? Look, sin provides the temptation in our flesh. It yields to it. The, the struggles, it's, it's at the heart of our Christian life. The, the war we fight is against the evil within us and the fleshy tendency to give in to what we know is, is bad. In fact, Paul will say it in Galatians 5.17. Maybe you know that, maybe you learned this verse in, in Awana or something. It's a good verse. Paul says, for the desires of the flesh, he's using flesh in the same way there. The desires of the flesh, the pull of my old life, of those patterns, the, the old tunes, the echoes. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a battle going on inside of you. There is a spiritual battle taking place in the midst of your very physical battleground. And Paul will tell us in Ephesians 6, it's, it's, these are unseen battles many times. We don't fight this with our willpower. We put on the armor of God. That's how we fight that. Well, it's verse 16, so I agree with the law. And again, it's Paul, he, he's saying, I agree with the law. I love God's law. But there's still this powerful pull of sin that remains. It's, it seeks in me what I hate. It, 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 I'm, it, it renders me unable 
to do what it is I want. Paul said, I, I almost defeated. I, I was, I'm, I'm unspiritual. I'm of the flesh. I was born under sin. I was given away. I was sold under sin. He feels this acutely. In verse 17, look at verse 17. He also says the same thing in verse 20. I want to talk about this. He says, so, so now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. And then in verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I think um, the danger would be for you to like underline those and those be your like life verse. In the sense where you underline it and go, oh, praise the Lord, I'm not really responsible for what I'm doing. I knew, I knew that it was somebody else's fault. You know, the devil, he made me do it. And, and that's not what he's talking about. So, so this, is not, this is not Paul's statement of acquittal. It's not his statement of innocence. He's not saying, Look, I, I'm, I'm completely innocent here. That wasn't me. No, I didn't punch you in the face. It was the sin inside of me. I mean, you can't be mad at me about that. It's not a declaration of innocence. What it is, it is a declaration of a conflict that is taking place inside of him that he is powerless to resolve. It is a struggle in which he cannot win. That's why a lot of people think what Paul's writing about this experience is it's trying to live the Christian life in your own strength. And the Christian life in your own strength is a strategy. It's a strategy I think a lot of believers seek. But it is an absolute 100% strategy of failure. So he's saying, look, I, d there's a pull in me. You know, it's, it's like this. It, think of it like this. He's saying, look, this sin, this, this flesh, this, 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 this flesh that dwells in me, you know, this is the language he uses. It, 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 it's like this tune that you can't get out of your head. And it's like the song you wish you could forget. You know, but it just gets in your head. You think, I hate that song. But every time I hear it, I can't get it out of my head. Remember that I remember the very first time that ever sort of happened to me, or, or that I was conscious of it happening to me. Like, here's this song in my head, it's stuck in my head, I can't get it out. And I was getting in, I thought I was about to lose my life over the thing. I was eight or nine years old, I was sitting in church, and I had Rod Stewart's If You Think I'm Sexy stuck in my head. It's a true story. And I'm kind of singing it and humming it. And I'm telling you, when it dawned on my mother, what was coming out of her nine-year-old son's mouth, she looked at me. So she's a super godly woman who can eradicate sin. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to sing it. You know, and I just be sitting there, you know, and all of a sudden I'm singing it again. I'm like, what am I doing? I didn't want to disappoint. I wouldn't, I, I wasn't like actively trying to rebel against her. She couldn't get out of my head. Charles Hodge was a professor at Princeton before, 
before the turn of the 20th century. So we're talking late 1800s. It was before Princeton had kind of left the building, you know, on Christianity. But he writes this about this verse, and I think it's very insightful, and he's got a good command of language. So, so bear with me on some of these big words, but they're helpful to, to articulate what Paul's saying. He says, I'm, what Paul's saying is, I'm sold under sin, and I am its unwilling slave. I do what I disapprove and fail to accomplish what I love. It's clear that it's not properly and fully I that do it. I mean, my real self, my my better feelings or renovated nature is opposed to what the law forbids. This is not said as an acquittal but to exhibit the extent and power of indwelling sin, which is beyond our own power and beyond the power of the law to eradicate and effectually control. This feeling of helplessness is not only consistent with a sense and acknowledgement of accountability, but it is also found united with genuine repentance and remorse. Paul groaned beneath its bondage as if held in some loathsome embrace of a body of death. The apostle's objection, therefore, is not to apologize for sin, but to show that the experience is consistent with being a Christian. If it's truly, if it is true that I really approve and love the law, he goes on, and desire to be conformed to it, I'm no longer the willing slave of sin to the depth and power of the original evil. It is attributed to me the fact that I am not entirely delivered from its influence, however. For if sin remains and exerts its power, notwithstanding our disapproval, and despite all our efforts, it's clear that we must look for deliverance to something outside of ourselves and that the mere perceptive power that the law brings us cannot remove the evil or the evil influence on us. The law is good, and it's righteous, and it's holy. And it it opens our eyes, and it it tunes us. And so now we're seeing, you know, now as believers, we actually, we're seeing sin we never saw before, but motives we'd never examined before. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming, like, oh man, my whole life is sin. That's the battle. You have an identity in Christ. You're declared righteous before God. And and we, like creation, he's going to say in chapter 8, we groan. We long for the day in which we'll be freed from this body of death when we no longer, our bodies are no longer this battleground for this spiritual war taking place where our future is at war with our past for this very moment. Our, Our identity is not at war with our history for the very now that we're living. And this thing that seeks to to sabotage us, this thing that 
that seeks to you know, look for an opportunity to betray me in my actions and with my desires and, and in my inner being, he's going to say in 21 and in 22 and 23. This, this constant sort of ongoing battle that, listen, we don't ever mature fully out of. I mean, if you get to the place and you go, man, I am really, I've really hit my stride in the Christian life. I'm not doing too bad. Oh, gosh, you're in trouble. Call, call me immediately. Or if you're married to him, call me. Paul, he talks about in 21 to 23, this force, you know, I see this law at work in me. He's discovered this principle. When I want to do right, when I want to do right, evil's right there. Something always looking to betray me. It's this battle that rages inside of us. The battle of who we once were versus who we will be revealed to be one day in Christ. And they're both fighting for control of, of the present. For the believer, while there is the presence of sin and maybe the, the influence of sin, the pull of sin, the tune that it whistles that then we can't get out of our minds, it is not, however, the, the priority ruling influence of your heart. It, it is not the language that you now know. It is not the love that you now have. It is not the affection that you primarily long for, although it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Paul will say, in my, in my heart of hearts, in my inner being, uh, apart from my experience. I know my identity is in Christ, and I long for what He longs for. And so, what He knows is, is, is that His future reality, His identity, it, it's secure. His sinful past, though, doesn't want to let go of Him. His sinful past is looking to take his present experience captive. But listen, it's not just enough to know that. And, and that may be comforting this morning. You may think, oh, okay, there's not, maybe there's not something wrong with me. Okay, that, that, maybe that is part of the Christian life, although it's not supposed to be the normal bit of the Christian life. It is part of the Christian experience. What's normal is my identity. What's normal is going to be Romans 8. What's normal is going to be, okay, how do I wage war in this moment when my future and my past are waging war for the present? What, Thirteen times he's going to tell you, the Holy Spirit is going to do this in us. And he begins by saying there's no condemnation and nothing separates you from love. No condemnation in Christ. Nothing separates you from the love of God in Christ. So there's this great security. I 
But we have to come to the place where we realize, as Paul will say, there is only one hope for us. Look at what he says in verses 24 and 25. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When is this war, this cosmic spiritual war that's taking place inside of me, when does that go away? How am I delivered from it? That's what he's saying. And he says, thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, you're going to spend 39 verses in Romans 8 unpacking that. So then I myself, I myself, my identity in Christ, serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, the old pull, the echoes, the shadows of who I was, serve the law of sin. See, some of you, you, um, you came to Christ young, or your experience was that you came to Christ young. You grew up in the church, maybe you had a Sunday school teacher um, lead you to the Lord. And man, those are great. Praise the Lord for that. Pra- praise the Lord there's not this carnage of life that some know that came to Christ late in life. But the problem is, is you, you can be deceived here in thinking, well, listen, I only had five years as an unbeliever. I mean, maybe it didn't get that, you know. How does the pull of a five-year-old sin affect me as a 50-year-old or whatever you are? And I would say it, it, it matters not the uh, quantity nor the quality of your sin previous. It's the fact that you were born into a world system. That's how you came in wired. That was your DNA spiritually from the beginning. And whether you exercised that or spent a lifetime working it out and spent spent a lifetime living out that storyline that's broken and twisted and skewed, or you came to Christ young and, 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 and were declared righteous early and the Spirit of God indwelt you early, your capacity and potential remains. And the influence of an indwelling sin, this flesh, didn't stop maturing. The enemy's been at this a long time. Notice that Paul says, who will deliver me, not what? It's a person who delivers you. You don't need a law. You don't need religion. You can't keep the law anyway, and religion won't save you. What we need is a Savior. We, we need a Savior to transform us. Here are three mistakes I think we naturally make in ourselves. 
One is that we, we, the mis first mistake we make is that this war can be fought with your own strength. I would say this, waging war with your willpower as the weapon, it's like starting your field goal kicker at quarterback in the other team's stadium. You can have all the want to that you want. You're going to lose. The, the other is that uh, mistake is that, that this is a war that can be fought with your knowledge. That if you just knew more. Well, the problem is a, a knowledge gap. That I just I need to know more, I need to examine this, I need to understand it more. Knowledge is great. But what you know doesn't save you. It is who you know that saves you. It is not more knowledge. It is a deeper relationship, a more intimate relationship with Jesus. And, and that the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, he, he resides in you. He dwells in you. He has sealed you. And listen, he... He, he takes God's Word this living and active Word that's sharper than a two-edged sword the promise is not to return void and does something to draw you into intimacy with the one who saved you 